Hello, and welcome to the Modern Retail Rundown. I'm your host, senior reporter, Gabby Barco, and I'm here with editor-in-chief, Kale Guthrie-Weissman. Hello, Kale. Hey, Gabby, how are you doing? Good. Welcome back from your European adventures. Thank you. It feels good to be on U.S. soil once again, back in my apartment in New York. Perfect. Um, All right. Well, let's get into it. On this week's show, we are going to look into Rite Aid's latest troubles. A lot going on there. Uh, After that, it's Walgreens uh, being sued by cooler screens. Uh, Pretty... uh, a drugstore heavy episode here. I like it. Um, we love drugstores here. <laughs> exactly. And then um, a new marketplace uh, that is looking to challenge Etsy that was created by former sellers. First up is Rite Aid, which is facing delisting by the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, yeah, this has been a long time coming. Rite Aid has been troubled for a little while, but it's it looks like things are getting pretty dire. Yeah, things are not looking good for Rite Aid. Uh, I just checked its stock price. It's Friday. uh, So who knows? It might close different, but it's at 54 cents. And to be on the New York Stock Exchange, you need to average at least a dollar for for a 30-day period. And so that's not good. Rite Aid, and I think at a press release earlier this week, was pretty much like, it could happen. Yeah, this is all a lead up from uh, Rite Aid having $3 billion in debt, and it has considered bankruptcy. A lot of the issues, and we can get into this, are not unique uh, to Rite Aid. Uh, As many people probably know, a lot of the uh, pharmacy chains have uh, had a lot of trouble with uh, opioid crisis-related lawsuits, of course, and so... Out of all the big chains, it just so happens that Rite Aid is the one who has, you know, the biggest issues and the biggest debt to begin with. So, yeah, do you, um, Kale, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Because, you know, of course, like Walgreens and CVS were part of these uh, laws and Walmart also were part of these lawsuits, but um, they, they seem to be weathering the storm. Yeah, I think probably the issue is that Rite Aid of, of the major three drugstores has been has been the one that has had a bunch of other business issues plaguing it more so than Walgreens and CVS, which isn't to say, and we'll talk about this probably in a few minutes, like Walgreens and CVS, especially this year, their earnings have have not been great and they've been trying to right-size their business in, in a few different ways. But Rite Aid has, you know, it has a huge amount of debt beyond um, the, the, opi- the opioid uh, uh, settlement and it just has not been able to really, I don't know, show itself to be a, a modern drugstore retailer the way that the other ones have. And so it seems like this delisting is a confluence of many issues that have been percolating for for years now. And I'm sure that like a couple of years ago, it probably saw you know a bump because of all of the interest in pharmacies and drugstores due to COVID. And now most of that is settled, and it you know it just faces a lot a lot of headwinds. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. COVID kind of put a little bit of a bandaid on things, but uh, even f- as far back as 2017, it was trying to uh, merge or be acquired or sell itself to other chains. Uh, those kept falling through. They were pretty major. In 2017, uh, there was a Rite Aid and Walgreens Boots Alliance uh, deal to merge, but uh, that was terminated. 
And then the following year, 2018, it, there was a similar deal with Albertsons that was also terminated. So, it, you know, those were due to various <laughs> factors, but it just so seems that, yeah, Rite Aid's business itself what is just not viable right now. They have been trying different things in the past few years, which is like, I know their thing is, you know, centering pharmacists and, you know, kind of focusing more on the actual pharmacy than, you know, the sort of, yeah, convenience and other uh, products. But it it's it just doesn't seem enough. And now their losses are just mounting quarterly. Yeah, uh, from their most recent one, which was in June, uh, revenue was $5.7 billion, which was less than a year ago, uh, 2022. June revenue was $6 billion. Net loss this past quarter was $307 million, which is you know, nearly three times as much as the loss from a year ago, which was $110 million. And so pretty much it shows that it hasn't been able to grow sales. It hasn't been able to cut losses. Clearly, something isn't working right, specifically for Rite Aid. Um, and it should be said that, like, I think the, opio- the opioid lawsuit probably plays a lot into, A, its stock performance, and B, its consideration of bankruptcy. Um, And there have been a bunch of others, not the other pharmacies, but there have been a bunch of other companies that have um, filed for bankruptcy as a result of of the huge, you know, multi-billion dollar settlement. They include uh, Purdue Pharma, Mellencrod, and Endo International, all, all pharmaceutical companies, and they all filed for bankruptcy essentially as a way to deal with the billions of dollars they owed to, uh, to plaintiffs for the, you know, the, the national lawsuits, uh, for the opioid, opioid crisis. And clearly Rite Aid has been, is thinking about doing that, might be forced to do that. But also there are a lot of unknowns about, you know, how those debts will manifest in the bankruptcy proceedings, what it exactly will do. I don't know. It's it's it just is a a really big mess specifically for Rite Aid uh, related to this. Right, uh, and I think you know it does point to the bigger picture, as you mentioned earlier, which is uh, drug stores are just generally you know slowing down or have slowed down uh, recently. It's I mean, again, it's all retail has, right? So you can't really say it's yeah. just uh, drugstores. But, you know, it's a pretty sharp drop from, yeah, 2021, where everybody was lining up to to get COVID uh, vaccines. So Walgreens, CVS also cutting uh, guidances and having layoffs. Um, so, yeah, pretty rough. Out yeah, there. yeah, no, Walgreens, I was looking at it. So Walgreens cut its guidance by about 50 cents for, you know, for earnings per share. Um, at its most recent earnings, CVS, I think it was able to grow. I need to double check this, but like it posted okay earnings, but one of its major focuses right now is cutting costs. And it announced that it was laying off 5,000 workers. And so I don't know, it all just, you know, there, there are many things at play here. You know, we could talk about how, you know, the, all of these drugstores are dealing with, you know, quote unquote, the rise of shrink, the, the, all of their retail formats are pretty outdated. They've announced over the years many times over that they're thinking of revamping their retail formats, but they still, if you go to any of these drugstores, look like boring old drugstores from the 90s. And so uh, I think Rite Aid of all of those three is the one that is probably the most outdated. When's the last time you went into a Rite Aid and were like, this is a great shopping experience? Um, but well, <laughs> I'm probably the wrong person to ask. I actually live on the corner of a Rite Aid and listen, it, you know, it comes in handy, but it's, is it depressing in there? Yes. 
Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And so, and I think, you know, all of the the locked coverings, especially in New York, but in other cities, all of this probably leads to less sales, less, you know, consumer interest. People, have you, I, this is something I, I think about whenever I go into a drugstore, but does does a shopper really have allegiance to a, a drugstore chain anymore? I think they, I think people used to. I remember my my mom kind of would be like, going to the CVS and she really liked CVS and then mm-hmm. Walgreens was considered sort of a new entrant decades ago. <laughs> but now um now it just is very very different where they all look generally the same and they all you you go there specifically because you need something and it's right there not because you're planning a mm-hmm. trip to that specific store or that specific re- specific retailer. Right. I mean, even, you know, if you talk about more regional uh names like Dwayne Reed which Yes, is Walgreens, but uh, no one, I don't think anyone loves to go to Dwayne Reed's because it's like a lot of them aren't the most value driven, right? You're not going to get the cheapest price there. You're really just going either to refill, uh, which is what they count on, the traffic of refilling uh, your medication and then maybe picking up some things. But uh, this is why they've tried so many things like delivery and pickup and all of that to, to help boost that. But you know, at the end of the day, you're you're a drugstore and people can just go to Target probably down the street for other things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there have been a lot of, and I said this earlier, but I'm just, you know, there's been coverage on modern retail and other publications about how every few years, one of them announces how they're doing a new, you know, either customer centric revamp, they're going to do small format stores, they're going to focus on wellness or revamp their merchandise so that it's filled with better, newer startups. But then when you look at the execution, I, I've i never seen that executed well. And actually, we'll talk about in a few minutes another <laughs> update that a drugstore made that has ended in shambles. But yeah, so it's we'll see how this plays out for Rite Aid specifically. But it, it you know, it's not it's not the best news for the the entire you know pharmacy chain space. Yeah, it'll. Uh, I guess we don't really know much about what the next steps will be. Um, I presume it will include closing stores, uh, but who even knows? Maybe bankruptcy filing of some sort. But um, yeah, I don't know. A lot of retailers shutting down, uh, even major ones that we didn't think would happen. So it's not outside the realm. Well, speaking of outdated drugstore aisles, <laughs> do you want to do you want to talk about uh, cooler screens versus Walgreens? This sure. Is, this is a good so one. C- cooler screens. This is a fun one. Uh, the Wall Street Journal broke the story earlier this week, and cooler screens is a company that I've always been super interested in on an intellectual level, just because it's one of those. I guess you could call it those solutions in need of a problem. Um, uh, where it, the cooler screens, for those who don't know, you've probably seen it at a Walgreens where you, you go in and there's a, a refrigerator, a cooler, but it doesn't have glass. Instead, it's an actual screen. And usually what the screen is showing is a fake inventory of what's behind. And so it'll show bottles of Coke and Pepsi. And then every once in a while, it'll flash, it'll flash an advertisement too. And the idea, and this is a huge gold rush that's been happening for a while now and is trying to gain more and more steam, is 
uh, digitizing physical retail space for to sell ads. And so Cooler Screens purports to have, you know, hundreds, I believe, of brand partners that work with it that can then sell ad inventory on there. Um, but then there's also the added thing with Cooler Screens, which is it's supposed to show what the actual inventory of drinks are behind it. So we'll, we'll go into this, but, you know, often people will go into a store, see a, a digital picture of of a drink cooler filled with drinks only to open it up to find like three things in there, which <laughs> is not a great consumer experience. But the news is that Cooler Screens and Walgreens have been working together for a few years now. It started out as, you know, a, a beta test. It rolled out a little bit more. Uh, and now it's not going any further. And Cooler Screens um, is suing Walgreens, uh, saying that Walgreens obstructed its agreement to roll out the technology into more, more stores. Again, the Wall Street Journal first reported this. Um, the Walgreens, I, Walgreens response is that, yes, we're not putting into more stores, and that's because the technology didn't work, which I think is a great response to that. Right. And like you said, um, the screens themselves, I mean, it is pretty dystopian to look at when you're <laughs> walking around. But yeah, I mean, the last thing you want to see at like, I don't know, an 11 p.m. Walgreens run is is like not the actual things you, you want behind after watching an ad for 30 seconds, you know, behind a screen. So it, it like you said, it's it's in theory on paper. It's great. Yeah. Media networks growing, you know, more revenue. But is it actually... Um, helpful or do cust do customers like it actually no the answer is no because there's been reporting on this yeah there's been a many different stories it's always a really fun consumery story where it's like Walgreens says this is the future of the shopping experience these screens everywhere but we found on reddit and twitter and we talked with shoppers who say they hate it um and i mean i i've been in there and i don't like it i just want if i want a drink I want to go to a refrigerator with a glass so I can see what the drink is instead of having to... I remember once I had to open up like five different refrigerators just to find like the Schweppes seltzer I wanted because they didn't actually coordinate with what the actual thing was. Anyway, so all that being said is that it all of these retailers are trying to boost their retail media networks. And this is one vendor that, uh, you know tries tries to do that in a in a somewhat unique way but it also hinders the consumer the shopping experience in a in a really specific way that has not been met well by shoppers mm -hmm. yeah and uh, I do wonder what will come out of this lawsuit because uh, I believe Walgreens was cooler screens uh one of its biggest uh customers right at least in the, on the mainstream side yeah no that was they, a lot whenever you would talk to cooler screens they would talk about their Walgreens trial as one of their their big areas of growth um and so and like cooler screens also has had other legal problems I believe its ad broker was Yahoo and then Yahoo sued it I think in 2021 so there there are a lot of different you know, the real, the real issue, there are two issues specifically with a technology like this, which is one, is the shopping experience good? Do people actually enjoy being around this? But also, two, the entire business model around cooler screens is selling ads and highly contextualized targeted ads. So it should be, you know, it can work with brands and it can know, ideally, the general demographics of either the people in the store or precisely who, who the person is walking in and be able to you know, target them with an ad. And one of the things that Walgreens said is that it was 
you know, the advertising technology did not work the way that Cooler Screen said it would, um, allegedly. And so, there, you know, it's it's all a question of data, implementation. It's a, it's a big mess. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to watch to see what will come out of that. Because, uh, again, this was, like you said, one of the moves, one of the investments that Walgreens made to, to like, liven up their stores. Um, so... I guess they'll be going away soon. Yeah. And I think that there's an interesting thing, which is a lot, pretty much every retailer is trying to bridge between it, their digital retail media networks and their physical offerings. And, you know, in the olden days, the advertising you could offer were in, you know, coupon handouts or in, you know, signage down the aisle. But now, you know, there are screens there that you can sell ads to. Ideally, they could be more highly targeted because they're, you can update them in real time but this was one of the this was one of those technologies that was supposed to really take in-store advertising forward and if it has not been received well it means that other other retailers probably aren't going to add similar types of technologies to their you know to their stacks their advertising stacks and so as all of these companies tout their how they're building out their retail media networks it's traditionally focused on, you know, their online presence. And they're trying to say that it also focuses on offline, but now it probably won't manifest the way that people thought it would. Next up, we are going to be talking about Etsy. This is a story I've been following for, I guess, a couple of years now. Jeez, that feels crazy to say. Um, but yeah, there's uh, there's this new platform marketplace called uh, Artisans Cooperative that launched this past week. It, it's basically made up of former Etsy sellers that uh, went on strike last year. Maybe if some people remember due to the increased fees that Etsy's implemented and uh, they wanted to create their own, uh, their, yeah, their own marketplace. They were talking about this when I spoke to them last year and it's finally live. Um, it's in beta phase two, not, not quite sure what that means, but it's still growing, I guess, and still being It's not tested. phase one and it's not phase three. It's phase okay. two. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but I, it's an example of uh, maybe the just need uh, for some of the sellers to even go outside of, you know, even creating their own Shopify page, which some of them have, uh, and to kind of maybe come together and try to do some kind of co-op uh, version of it. But like we're going to be talking about, that's it's not easy to go up against Etsy, which has the name recognition and the mar- you know the growth, uh, just the size and the tra- the traffic that this you know collective may get you know from uh, just uh, plugging it to their own followers. But it's going to be hard to to scale that up to Etsy size. It's an interesting idea, but we'll see how they're able to approach customer acquisition, specifically, as you mentioned, the fact that Etsy has been around for decades. People know what it is. People seek out Etsy for a very specific thing. And so it will be a a difficult task for a brand new platform to try and and be able to do that as well. There are a bunch of, uh, there are a bunch or there are a few other platforms out there that focus on local or smaller artisans like Society6 that use a similar model the idea is that they're, you know, smaller artisans who can list their their items for free, um, and so or not for free, but who can list their items. And so it's this is the latest one. I think it's really interesting that it was made in response to uh, 
Etsy, Etsy's increased fees, but you know, it's a it's a difficult road out there for this type of marketplace. Yeah, and uh, we should mention some of the qualms that the sellers had that drove them off. So, oh, oh and I, I guess I should mention that right now the uh, platform has about seventy shops and over twelve hundred items, according to uh, the collective. And so, you know, it's it's growing pretty gradually. But um, we should mention that one of the reasons they, the big major reason that they left Etsy was because. Last year, uh, the company increased transaction fees um, by a pretty decent percentage. I think it was up like 5.6% uh, on each transaction. And so if you have a low cart uh, size, that's that's going to be a pretty hefty price to pay. And then there's, of course, the uh, need now, from what I'm told, to, to use Etsy's ads uh, in order to even drive traffic to your store. And so there, there's been a lot of, you know, the series of issues that the sellers have uh, with Etsy that drove them to this. And so this platform is promising essentially the solution to that. So according to them, it's there's a one-time buy-in cost to become a member, and then there's multiple options for payment plans. So it's meant to be a lot cheaper than it is to list on Etsy. Yeah. I mean, it should be said that you know, there, there was a lot of coverage uh, and a lot of backlash to Etsy increasing its fees and prices and things like that. Um, but it didn't, at least if you look at its most recent earnings, make a huge dent uh, in in its overall numbers and growth. Uh, I'm looking at its its Q2 earnings from, I think, last month or August. Um, Etsy's active buyer base increased 2.5% um, over a year uh, to 96.25 million active buyers. Um, and then the seller base, the active seller base was 8.31 million, which was a 12.3% year over year bump. And so there are there are definitely some clearly because we have this new platform, some you know, Etsy merchants who were unhappy with it, but also the company was still able to grow its active seller base, which I think, you know, shows just how big it is and how difficult it is to to make a, a competitor in that space. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think as it as it rolls out, we we will see uh, how much buzz the the sellers or the organizers are able to drive to it. But until then, um, it does seem like at least for every time I speak to a seller, it's like, well, you know, at the end of the day, Etsy is probably the most viable uh, platform, and you know, it's got yeah, just the built in audience for for sellers like these who are selling. Uh, handmade or vintage items. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's Etsy has been around for so long that I think people know who it is. They they use it, and so it'll be really interesting to see what what ways the artisan cooperative goes about trying to eat into Etsy's you know huge market. How I wonder will it will it do any marketing. Well, just, you know, all of that, because it'll be really difficult to try and change consumer patterns where I myself, if I'm like, I want to get a, a candelabra or I want to get a piece of ceramics from someone I don't already know, maybe I'll check out Etsy. You know, I've bought throw pillows because I didn't know where people buy throw pillows. And I found out <laughs> Etsy was the place that I guess you do that. So, you know, that that it's a very specific type of uh, way of shopping that, you know, another another company could be able to sort of take over for that, but it will be quite difficult. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because you even see uh, like Amazon Handmade was supposed to be yeah. the answer from Amazon. But I don't know if it's just because like the Amazon is in the name <laughs> that just, yeah. you know, it's an antithesis of what what Handmade is really supposed to be. Um, I don't it, it, it has a pretty decent size, but and it's not anywhere near Etsy. And I'm sure Amazon has a little bit more money towards marketing than Artisans Cooperative does. But, you know, I could be wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we can wrap up here. That is our show for the week. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Modern Retail Podcast to hear interviews with industry leaders every Thursday. Uh, Kale, do you have a preview for us for next week? I sure do. I spoke with Monica Royer. She is the co-founder and CEO of the kids apparel brand Monica and Andy. It was a super interesting conversation about the state of apparel being DTC, expanding into wholesale like Walmart. I loved it. You should listen. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, And of course, come back on Saturdays for the Modern Retail Rundown. And as always, thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.